All right, children, if you wish, you may leave. Except Harlow, you have to stay. No, I'm kidding. See, you tell her that and she's going to stay because she's a contrarian like her mother. for staying. You all could have left. You know that was your shot. So we're starting a new series today. And uh, we're going through the book of First Peter. Um, I don't do that too often, but uh, this is a, a, a proper situation as we're in the Lent season, the Lenten season. And uh, I think it's good to explore what that means for us. Um, it's not just a time of giving up chocolate and meat. And well, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But it is a time to allow ourselves to go into a, a deeper dive into uh, what God's asking us to do. Mm. Bitter, bitter, bitter coffee today. So first, some context, general context for those of you that aren't familiar with First Peter um, or, or with Peter at all. Maybe you don't know who Peter is. Who's Peter? <coughs> Peter was a fisherman and uh, is one of the earliest disciples of, of Jesus. And uh, so when people think of the fishermen... Um, they, they don't think of some individual who's necessarily articulate or sharp or anything like that, but uh, he certainly did not have formal training. However, I will tell you that I believe strongly that uh, not only was he God-led, but he was a smart guy. You don't have to have formal training to be a sharp person. Some of the sharpest people I know have not had formal training, and so this isn't the same. Uh, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. I say that often. I believe that. Wisdom comes through other areas. Oh, man. Stiff neck. Okay. That's done. So... So here's Peter, and he's, he's, he's writing a letter, his first letter that we have, <laughs> and it's around the year between 60 and 65. I, 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 doesn't matter when, but I, I will tell you what is important to understand about the context of this letter is the fact that he is uh, writing to a troubled people. The reason that they're troubled is because this is the time of Nero. Nero is the emperor of Rome. Some of you know who Nero is, some of you don't. Let me tell you, the first word that comes to mind when we think of Nero is crazy. The man was crazy, he was brutal, he was amoral. He set himself up as, as the arbiter of everything, killed his mom, 
killed his first wife, killed a whole bunch of other people. You know, we worry about cancel culture today. <laughs> he was the ultimate in cancel culture. If he didn't like you, you didn't last very long. Okay, so you got that. Um, and, and the punchline to this is who he really didn't like was Christians. Why? At the time, it was just because there were so many religions. Didn't there other religions that he didn't like? No, the Christians were kind of easy to pick on because they weren't a militant group. And there's still very few of them. So, hey, if we're going to blame things on Christians, and there was a time when like half of Rome burned and he said the Christians did it. So that gave him carte blanche to, to persecute them. So he'd do things like dress them up in animal skins and, and run them out into the arena and then lions would attack them and, uh, and eat them. Or he would, and I, I kind of mentioned this last week, he would dip them in wax tied them to a post and uh, burn them for, um, for lamplight at night. And then he would uh, have parties. So they were kind of like human tiki torches. Now, how he got past the smell, that just shows you how weird and crazy he is. Because you know that there are people that are saying, we need to get out of here. This is not my kind of barbecue. That's kind of funny. Come on, a little bit. All right, too soon? A thousand years, two thousand years? Okay. Try it here. So anyway, he's a bad man. So Christians are being hunted, chased after. And so Peter's writing to the Christians around the area that he's at, around the province that he's at. And he's trying to, to give them hope. Christians are undergoing trials. And obviously, as I've described it to you, <laughs> far more difficult times than the things that we usually equate with our faith and how we live our lives, right? We're not, no one's chasing us down with dogs. Uh, no one's putting us on a post and torching us or anything like that. But we still have trials. And one of the things that is so precious about scripture, and as I've said a thousand times, people being people, is our trials, even in our own context, still can be spoken to by even those that have been, that are more severe than we may ever go through. But how we handle them, how we deal with these trials can still be in the same setup, in the same steps. Now, as he talks about the hope in, in Jesus that he has, um, it, it is a different world. But the letter is to a bunch of hurting people. And in this first couple of verses, that's what he talks about. He, he talks about to the scattered Christians because they were a minority. was like America, there, there, were, there weren't many of them. So any group you'd get together, it'd be like 10 or 12 here, 17 there, in a whole slew of communities that were filled with other religions. 
So not only were they a minority, they were a hunted minority with other people, of course, jealous. And they're trying to, you know, so how do we get rid of them? Because they were not liked. So he's trying to give them strength and buck them up and, and uh, showing them. So this speaks to the turmoil that they're going through. And one of the ways that he brings this into context for them is to claim the very fact that they are a minority where they're at. And not only just a minority in the province or the town that they're at, but they're a minority in the greater world because this isn't their world. This isn't their home. Their home resides someplace else. These are just people that are passing through, as we all are, passing through on our way to eternity. Now, we can have various understandings and idea of this, especially, you know, when we're younger, it tends to be more limited of an understanding. We're, we're dealing in the here and now and how we cope with that. But as you get a little older, you begin to realize how fast this time goes and how much, how fragile these times are. And you begin to feel kind of a disconnect from the things around you. And technology just makes it feel faster. In, in the 80s, it was all about programming a VCR. You were, you, were, you were old if you couldn't figure out how to set the clock on your VCR. A VCR is a video recorder that we used to record on tape the shows that we wanted to watch, for those of you. And, uh, <laughs> you were looking at me because you <laughs> So that was the litmus. Now you have smartphones, right? And you have computers. And you have all kinds of sophisticated... I've, I've got a, 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 a new old car, wonderful new old car. And uh, as I was shopping uh, f for this car, um, the guy next to me is um, telling me about all the things that it can do. And I knew I had jumped from being middle-aged to old when I said, his name is Mike, I said, Mike, I just want to know how to put it in drive, how to put it in reverse, how to put it in park, and how to start it and stop it. We'll figure out the rest later. And uh, the, the, you know, the owner's manual is like that thick. It's like a Bible. And I'll figure it out. I can turn the radio on and off, too. I did that this week. I learned that one. Um, I'm rather proud of myself. So we'll figure it out. But uh, the process in living here... And holding on too tightly to here will always lead us to discontentment. And I know that there are things and people and situations that we, we love here, but we also recognize that we go through tough times, right? 
There's, there, there's only, there's, there's two, two times in our life. There's, there's those that are going through tough times and those that will be going through tough times. All right, it's a fallen world. It is what it is. We're struggling with that as we go. But we're called to be different. Peter's telling us that you're, you're called to be different. You're supposed to engage the world differently. Your values are different. Don't have the same values as the rest of the world. How we raise our kids are different. Our belief system is different. Um, how we relate to people who do us harm are different. We don't live, we're not a revenge people. And that's a tough one. We're a turn the other cheek people. Wow, that's so difficult. But that is what and who we are called to be. And so Peter's explaining all this and going through all of this. So we're going to look at their context, which can possibly be your context, and what, it, what it's like to go through difficulties. How our faith can have an impact on that even when it's something incredibly difficult. So the first scripture lesson today starts with the third verse. First two verses are just all kind of greeting. Starts with the third verse, goes through the seventh verse. And he says, praise be to, to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. In his mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So now he's setting the context. Remember, he's talking to people that are minority and scattered and they're worried. He's giving them their foundational roots in which they can hold on to. This is what makes sense. Doesn't matter what the rest of the world is telling you, this is what we hold on to. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last times. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though it's refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, that's one of those things, you know, I'm not a sharp, sharpest crayon in the box. I didn't realize that gold was like one of the few metals that didn't rust. I always thought, what's the big deal about gold? It doesn't rust. It's always there, except it's not always there. It can perish just like it. It just perishes in a different way. So, and I didn't learn that until like the Apollo missions. And I'm like, why do they put gold on all that? Well, yeah, it's, 
So it is the human understanding of something that lasts longer than most other things. But it still perishes when it's put through fire. So what? So what's he talking about here? He's talking about the struggle between reality, which this world is is not rainbows and unicorns. There are people that don't like you, and you're going to go through tough times. Every single one of you, every single one of you, is going to go through tough times. And so he's trying to. Show us how our faith can get us through. One of the first things he says, and he talks very clearly, it is about a genuine faith. Now, if there's a genuine faith, then there's also a false faith. So what is a false faith? What does that look like? <coughs> Excuse me. I tell you, that's how we can kind of define things. So a f- there, there are three kinds of false faiths. False faiths, not faiths. False faiths. Are you with me? Have I lost you yet? I'm just, I'm just, am I making any sense at all? I asked the Lutheran side because if I've lost them, then I know I've, I've, I've gone too far afield. All right. This is what a false faith looks like. Number one, it's a false faith if you believe that it's an inherited faith. What does that mean? It means... Um, when I talk to people and they tell me their story and their story is about, uh, because I'm a pastor and when they find out a pastor, then I, I get to hear their story, whether I want to or not, I get to hear their faith journey. Yeah, I grew up in the Baptist church or I grew up Catholic or I grew up Lutheran. Uh, then, you know, then I got, st- I got stopped going to church and, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not Buddhist or Muslim, so I still must be Christian. Right? No. There's no inherent, inherited faith. You, you have an active faith. It's something that we work out, as Scripture tells us, and with, with fear and trembling. You, you can't pass it down from one person to another. They can only take it for themselves. Is this something that goes on in, in my home? My, my son doesn't get what I do. My son struggles with what he believes. And I love him to death. will always love him to death. But I can't love him into heaven. I can't pray him into heaven. I can't take communion on his behalf. All I can do is pray and hope that he will accept through faith Jesus Christ. Um, Having kids, man, is wearing your heart outside your body. And guess what? They have their own opinions. Son of a gun. old thing, you know, if I, if I wanted your opinion, I'd beat it out of you. It was something re- relatives close to me used to say, which I won't mention. But uh, yeah, it doesn't work that way. 
we have our own faith. We have that's, and that's not a true one. Second one is a shallow faith. There's a part in scripture where Jesus is talking and making a story about a seed sower who's throwing seeds in the various things that happen. One, one of them, bless you, one of them is a, is a, a shallow, where these seeds fall on shallow ground and then they all like pop up. But because they have no deep roots, they wither and die. And that's, that's a, a shallow faith. It's, uh, it's, it's something that people struggle with um, when they compartmentalize their faith. When they say, okay, well, I'm going to come and I'm going to worship Jesus in church. And then that's it. Doesn't have any impact outside your life other than what goes on in this building. And there are people like that. They, they segment their lives. Segment. Seg, yeah, that works. Compartmentalize. This is, yeah, this, is, this is for God, and this is for the rest of the world. Problem is, of course, you're only here one, maybe two hours, if that, a week, and you're out in the rest of the world for a multitude of hours, and the impact of your faith is probably more important what you do out there than what you do in here. Because here, you're usually kind of just sitting on your hands, nodding your head, if I'm lucky, maybe laughing at a few things I might say, getting a few good points. But if it doesn't apply to out there, then it's not making an impact because it's called to, our faith is to be in everything we do, not to... Not to be used as a, as, as, a, as a club, not to lambaste people over the head with. And I think lambaste means to hit. I never looked that up. But I know that when my mom says I'm going to lambaste you, it usually ends up with me being hit. So it's got to be being hit. And... It's not about that. It's about living a life that other people look upon and, 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 and will crave. But sometimes that life people will look on and whether for various reasons they won't like that you seem to be contented and they're going to be a pain in your tuchus. Do you know that there are people out there that don't like when other people are happy or contented or joy-filled? There are people out there like that. And they are going to make life difficult because they want to see how you will react. Mm -hmm. We'll see what kind of faith you have. And that's, that's what we're talking about here. Those that have the shallow faith will say, well, I don't have to acknowledge that because I don't want to be challenged. But that's not a true faith. The third and final one is a conditional faith. And this is one I think that I run across on a, more, on a fairly regular basis. It, it is those that when, when God's on their side and everything's going really well, then they're in. But when things turn against them, against them then all of a sudden, what kind of a loving God would allow me to have to go through this tragedy, this whatever tragedy, 
Um, it could be health, it could be financial, it could be relational. And what kind of loving God would cause me to do that? I hear that a lot. And the answer is God doesn't cause those things. We live in a fallen world. And the whole idea about having a faith is choosing to have a faith. You choose to have a faith. I believe that vehemently. You choose to have a faith. And even as the context of this world can go against us, we hold on to that faith, using it as a lens in which to see in a fallen world that we're not home yet. We're going to get through this trial, and we've been promised something by God that is eternally wonderful, and that's what we hold on to. Corey Ten Boom, one of the heroes of the faith who lived through the concentration camps, one of the greatest sayings I've ever had, hold on to these things of this world loosely. Otherwise, when it's torn from you, it will not hurt so much. Because things are tragically taken from us at various times. We've all had loved ones who have been taken from us one way or another, shockingly. And this is not meant to be a punishment. It is the way the world goes. It is a test and a push and a challenge. And that is what we're getting to. Our last two things that we're going to talk about is what real faith does for us. All right? What real faith does for us. First of all, I want to point out how important it is thought to have real faith. Because if we're not grounded in something, then we could end up anywhere. Ugh. I, I, my, my grandparents had a house on a lake and they had a, had a rowboat that I would use regularly. And I remember before a big storm and I tied it off on the dock. I'm not a sailor nor a Navy person. Um, I'm an Army person and what that means is I tie a knot and then I use a lighter to burn it to melt the rope together so it doesn't release. Those of you who've done that know what I mean. But I'm not like I don't do a four-in-hand or five-in-hand knot. And I remember my grandma saying, did you tie the boat off? And I said, yes. Did you tie it off well? Well, it started the rain, and I thought I would melt because I'm sugar. I didn't want to go back out in the rain. So I said, of course I did. And then the storm blew in, and it was a crazy storm. And son of a gun, when it was over, and the... And the it blew all night, and then the next morning, my grandmother came and got me out of bed because guess what? The rowboat was gone. Oh, my gosh. So now we had to go find it. And that's, that's an illustration for another time. But the point is, if we're not grounded, if we're not tied to something that's solid, we can be blown anywhere. It happened to be five doors down where a really cute girl lived. That's why it's a story for another time. So it worked out. 
But you understand the illustration. Her name was Tammy. She was adorable. Anyway. Young love. Hear these words from James. Because he turns everything on his head, man. James is, James is a good book. Here's what James says. He said, consider it a pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you, you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may mature and complete and not lacking of anything. That is what matures us. Trials mature us. Tough times mature us. Growing old does not mature us. We know this because most of us go to high school reunions, right? We've been to high school reunions, and we've been there, and we've seen where people that we had grown up emotionally haven't changed a bit. They tend, not always, tend to be those that were more successful in high school. This is, a, this is a, a cautionary tale for you gentlemen right here. When you're really good at what you do, you have to build on that. When you don't build on that, you get stuck in a rut. And you tend to stay, even though your skills or your looks fade, you stay in this memory of what was, but what isn't. And so when you haven't seen anybody in 10, 20, 30 years, and you connect with them, and you haven't grown, it's noticeable. I captained the football team on my... He, he was the big man on campus, man. And uh, everyone admired him, and he went and played ball at Ball State, and it was like the 20th reunion or something like that, and I remember sitting there, and I was a nobody. I actually only went to my high school my, that I graduated my senior year, but I didn't know a lot of people. I, I knew a few people. Um, and he went from table to table, and it, this is the true story, and he walked up, and you know, he had your name tag on, and he goes, he goes, hey. And you go, hey. He goes, remember me? I'm Stewie. And he pushed his name tag forward. It's interesting. And he goes, yeah, I remember Stewie. The reason he had to push his name tag forward is because Stewie looked like he ate Stewie. <laughs> he went from... 170 pounds of muscle and speed to like 270 pounds of lard. And he had, no offense, Jeff, no hair left. And he did not look like that picture. But he would sit there and go, I'm Stewie. Remember that game against uh, Fremont Ross when I ran for 187 yards? And you're like, yes, do we remember all your games? And then he'd move on to the next table. It, you know, it wasn't just that. He'd, he'd say something else. And you're like, that's, that's pretty pathetic. <laughs> it's pretty pathetic. Now, I could talk like that because I'd just gotten out of the Army, and I looked really good. 
I looked a lot like my name. I looked better than my name tag. But it's one of those things. When people don't learn from our trials, we don't grow. When we don't grow, we don't mature. We don't learn perseverance. We don't learn how to get to the other side. We just stay in our bubble. And it is very comfortable to stay in your bubble, but it doesn't grow your faith. And your faith is so tremendously important because these are the things that get through those times that are so tough. Trials reveal your faith. A faith that has been tested is a faith that can be trusted. There's your little word for the day. Faith that can be tested that has been tested, is a faith that can be trusted. Number two, trials grow us closer to God. The, uh, the eighth and ninth verse in First in Peter says this, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith and the salvation of your souls. Though you've not seen him, you love him. That's the whole promise that we get to share in. There's a part in scripture that says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's us. We've not seen him. They've not seen him. Peter's seen him. Peter knows who Jesus is. It's easy to talk about somebody that you know, but here these people are adhering to the faith, even though they don't know him personally. But their trials, their struggles, their tribulation, it draws them closer to God. I have a friend uh, who has a roommate, and I just heard yesterday a roommate's got big-time medical problems, had to pawn their jewelry in order to pay for them, and, and yet won't accept help. Because I was like, well, we can help out. And I, she won't accept it. And she says, my prayer life's better. Scripture's better, reading Scripture. I'm closer to God than I've ever been before. And you realize you can't pay for that. But you can't force it either. You either buy into it or you don't. It can draw you closer or you can choose to feel like you're being picked on and it separates you. The good news is that God does not save us from trials. The good news is that he saves us from our sin. That is what he came to do. He never said you wouldn't have trials. In fact, he said in this world, and this is in Matthew, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And so it goes. This 
limited transitional place that we're at where we grow from a little caterpillar into a butterfly however you want to look at that as we grow to depend on God as we allow ourselves to depend on God we release the pain we do have that conduit you don't have to white knuckle it you can go to God with your pain last story so I have very sensitive skin it's like a baby's behind when I was a child this was 1970 so I was nine years old um, my mom changed laundry detergent she I don't know I think it was something maybe my grandmother gave her and it was uh, she, she got and she will confirm this so we changed laundry detergent and uh, I had a bad reaction to it and so on my my underwear I had a bad reaction to it and it was miserable and I'm, I remember riding my bike and everything was so itchy and crazy I was crying it was so bad but I thought I just kind of had to keep it to myself and I go in the house and of course I, I, I'm, I'm squirming and I'm miserable and my mom, of course, being my mom, says, what? what's wrong? What's going on? And I finally just came out and said, I'm itchy all over. I'm so miserable. And she said, why didn't you tell me? Get those off. I've got some old Tide or whatever, Oxidol, whatever. We're going to rewash all your clothes. And it was like I was free. I whipped my clothes off right on the spot, which was probably not the smart thing to do. In the front room, in front of my grandparents, really traumatized, but it was so miserable. That's the kind of freedom that God offers us. The freedom to just cast off that which has been burdening us and says, this is a place where you're going to be, where you're not going to be itchy all over anymore. You're not going to struggle. You're not going to feel pain. It's temporary. What you're going to have is a place with me where contentment and prosperity are measured in the love that God has for you to pour out to you, just like my mom did, in order to give us eternal life, eternal hope, eternal joy. My faith isn't based on what I see. My faith is based on who God is and the promises that he gives us. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, we sing your praises in so many ways, but on top of that, we also receive your blessings. It is not in the midst of prosperity that we sense your presence. There we sense humility. It is in the struggle where we know you hold us in the palm of your hand.
and you will never let us go. On that we adhere to. On that we place our faith, and on that we will never be let down. Hear us now, Lord, as we pray the prayer that your son taught us when he taught us to say, Our Father, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Amen.